For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. So these technical challenges provide us wonderful opportunities for watch the Zaza. So here we are. Welcome to the people online. I can't see, but here you are. Uh, I want to speak this morning about uh, Dongshan, one of the stories from Dongshan, who is the founder of our tradition in China. Soto Zen in Japanese, Zaldong in Chinese, Dongshan is Tozan in Japanese pronunciation. Dongshan was the founder of this uh, lineage, or we could say maybe, maybe teachers before him were part of that, but in the 800s. Uh, and I want to talk about a particular story uh, about Dongshan from my book, Just This Is It, Dongshan and the Practice of Suchness. Uh, this story is not in the koan collections that we usually look at, the Book of Shalendi, the Book of Record, or the English Barrier. It may well be in some of, it's in the, uh, Dongshan's recorded sayings, and it may well be in some of the other many um, koan collections that were in China. At any rate, uh, this story has to do with how our, our family style, our lineage, uh, kind of starts at the top. We, uh, our, our basic selves and practice is sometimes called objectless meditation. You know, not focusing on any particular object, not with any particular objective, but just to be fully present and aware with each breath, exhale, and just to see what arises and to settle there. And teachers from other schools are sometimes very surprised when they hear that this is our basic meditation. I think there are a couple of people here who are meditation instruction this morning, so welcome. The, um, usually this kind of objectless meditation in other schools is not allowed for, for practitioners for years because it's an advanced practice and a lot of book study is required first in some languages. At any rate, uh, we start at the beginning. We start at the top. We start with the understanding of sudden awakening, the understanding that uh, Reality is present everywhere and, and can be realized immediately. And whatever it was that brought you here, in some, in some way, includes all of, all of the work today. Of course, uh, there's a lifelong process of unfolding that. At any rate, the story I want to focus on this morning was about a monk who showed up at Dongshan's temple. And Dongshan asked the monk, where have you come from? So this is a, a kind of 
basic opening question. Where have you come from? Um, his sixth ancestor said to one of his students, instead of where have you come from, what is this that thus comes? Who are you? What is this? How is it? Right here. Anyway, Dongshan asked the monk, where have you come from? And the monk replied, from wandering in the mountains. Dongshan asked, did you reach the peak? The monk said, yes. Dongshan asked if there was anyone on the peak. The monk said, no, there was not. Dongshan said, if so, then you did not reach the peak. So this is, this is an interesting and uh, funny story. Um, when the monk says he's been wandering in the mountains, you know, in, in China and in Japan and now, uh, practitioners wander around from temple to temple sometimes. So mountains is a name for a temple, uh, for a teacher. So he was wandering, so he was literally wandering the mountains, but also he was wandering around uh, checking out different temples and perhaps check, checking out different temples and teachers. Everybody hear me on Zoom back then? So Dongshan asks him, did you reach the peak? And the monk said, yes. So, you know, in some traditions, there's this uh, kind of encouragement or incitement, sometimes very active, to reach some peak experience in our city. In our tradition, that can happen. Peak experiences do happen, more in prolonged sittings, but it, but um, that's possible. But uh, that's not exactly the point in our tradition. Dongshan asked, when the monk said, yes, he reached the peak, Dongshan asked if there was anyone on the peak. And the monk said, no, there was not. So sometimes such a peak experience is described in terms of the teaching of emptiness. No person, no being, just boundlessness, another way to say it. Just full reality right here. So, so when Dong um, asked if there was anyone on the peak, the monk said, no, there was not. And then Dong said, if so, then you did not reach the peak. So this is a very deep question. <laughs> in some sense, by definition, if there was no one there, then it was the monk. However, This monk replied, if I did not reach the peak, how could I have known there was no one there? This is a wonderful, wonderful response. If I did not reach the peak, how could I have known there was no one there? How could I have seen vast boundlessness and emptiness and non-self? And Dong Shan probably smiled and then he asked, why this monk had not remained on the mountaintop. And when one has such an experience, when one sits in the mountains for a long time or just practices for a long time um, and has such a peak experience, of course, it's really wonderful and tempting to hang out there. It's blissful, joyful. 
Everything is right here. All, each inhale, each exhale is but a force of all things. So, the, so Dongshan asked him, uh, how come he didn't stay there? <laughs> Back up on that mountaintop. And the monk said, very honestly, that he would have been inclined to stay. But there was someone from the West who would not have approved. <laughs> someone from the West in China refers to the Bodhidharma or maybe Shakyamuni Buddha himself. Dongshan then praised the monk, saying, I had wondered about this fellow. <laughs> so, uh, this story is very deep. Uh, I want to add a couple more commentary stories, but what is, our, what is the heart of our practice when we're wandering around the mountains? And, uh, you know, maybe in Chicago, Area, you could say, wandering around the prairies, anyway, um, in China and Japan and California, where I trained, there are lots of big mountains. <laughs> but, but that's but the point is, you know, did you really have this brief experience? Was there anyone there? And he said, No, and Don't Sean asked, how could if you didn't if you really reached the peak, how could you have how could you have known there was no one there? Or how you know, how could you have known that? And uh Monk said I uh back to exactly what the monk said. Um, if you if 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 you, if there was no one there, you did not reach the peak. But this monk Proved that he had uh, deep understanding. If I did not reach the peak, how could I have known that there was no one there, nothing there, just lasting things? But then the, the end of the story is that, uh, or this part of the story anyway, we don't know what happened with that monk. Uh, usually in these stories, if, if, the, if the monk is asking a question, uh, later became a famous teacher, they get his name. In this case, they didn't, but this was a, a great practitioner. He said, I would have liked to stay there. But somebody from the West, Bodhidharma, who said, who founded Chan or Zen in China, came from India, or Shakyamuni himself, the founder he lived in north, what's now northeastern India, around 500 BC, give or take. Um, they wouldn't have approved if we had just stayed at the peak. So, this is a real practical problem. Uh, I practiced up in the mountains at Tassahara Monastery, uh, Monterey County, for three years. There's a couple people there now who've been there like 10, 11, 12 years, I think. But the practice in Zen is not to stay on the mountaintop, not to stay in the monastery, but to come back out and share yourself and share your awareness in everyday life with your friends and family and co-workers and 
fellow students of Shankaranthas. We share our experience of the peak or whatever part of the mountain we've, we've been on. We share that in our everyday, everyday life. So um, practicing as a non-residential non temple is for now in Chicago. Uh, we're sort of beyond the peak. <laughs> we're, we're back back in the world. And this is very challenging practice. And maybe we don't have facilities now to do ex enough extended sittings for people to reach the peak. And, and it's okay. Wherever you are is the peak. Wherever you are is full. Full Buddha nature is available. And yet, and, and yet there are lineages and Buddhist traditions that you know, so if you don't reach the peak, it doesn't matter. But uh, we start at the peak, work our way around. So um, a related story, separate story, is about another great Chinese teacher named Yangshan from a slightly different lineage. He was born the same year as Dongshan, so he's contemporary. Um, once Yangshan requested that a monk reverse his thoughts to think of the thinking mind. And then Yangshan then asked if there were many things there. So this is another basic meditation instruction in our tradition. Dogen talks about it. Dogen, the founder of this tradition of Japan, who brought it from China to Japan, said, uh, take the backward step to turn the light inwardly and illuminate yourself. So we study, we pay attention. Study is a funny word because in, in English it can connotes like reading lots of books or something. But we pay attention to this experience. Take the backward step and turn your light, your awareness inwardly to illumine, to illuminate this self, this person. And uh, of course, there's the the primary Buddhist teaching of no self, that are who we think we are, our idea of ourself, cultivated since, since childhood, is an illusion. That really who we think we are is, is just a small part of reality. Anyway, the story continues. Yangshan said to the monk, Please reverse your thoughts. To think of the thinking mind. What is it? Who is it? How is it that your thoughts and feelings arise? That your deliberations arise? That your awareness arises? Who's there? What's that? So the story goes on. The monk responded. And, you know, it seems to me he must have, there must have been a little time lapse there because I, I think the monk needed to do that practice of 
reversing his thought to think of the thinking mind. But then Yangshan asked this monk, well, there are many things there. And you did that. And you turned your awareness around to look at the thinking mind. But there was lots of stuff, because there was lots of stuff there. The monk said, when I get here, I don't see any existence at all. So turning deeply within, there's nothing. There's no existing things to hold on to. So, uh, in the commentary to the story, which is in the Book of Serenity, the uh, monk is praised for saying that, but then Yangshan responds, that's okay for the stage of faith, but not right for the stage of person. So this relates very much to Yangshan and the monk from the mountain top. Reaching the mountain top, or even you know, roaming around high up on the mountain. And seeing if there's nobody there. That's called the stage of faith, and that's great. And faith, trust, confidence is very important in our practice and in our tradition. One needs to have trust just to show up on the mountaintop or the mountainside or wherever you are. Just to show up on your seat for Zaza, just to show up in your Zendo. Requires deep, deep conviction, commitment, faith. So the English word faith is problematic because it's connected with theistic traditions where you have faith in something else up there, somebody else up there. But just deep trust, not in yourself, not in somebody up, up in the sky or wherever, but just in reality. Trusting this situation that we are in, including all the problems, including all the troubles in our world, including all our own personal heartaches, so forth. He said, this is, Yongshan said that to the monk who said when he turned the light within, that there was nothing there. Yongshan said, that's okay for the stage of faith, but it's not yet right for the stage of person. So the story about the monk on the mountain, from the mountaintop, who came to see Dongshan is also about the stage of person, the stage of taking one's Dharma position, of being responsible for one's practice, for one's caring and kindness and insight in the middle of this difficult life and world. Sometimes difficult, sometimes joyful. Should not ignore that. At any rate, the stage of faith and the stage of person. So one more story that relates to the first story. And this is a story about Dongshan and one of his main disciples. He had many successors. But this is a story about Yunju Daoyun, Ungo Doyo, who was the successor of Dongshan from whom our language comes. The one that came to Dogen in Japan and then Suzuki Roshi to 
America. At any rate, this is a story about Dongshan and this important student, Renju. There were other important students of Dongshan, but anyway, once Dongshan asked Renju where he'd been, he must have been away from the monastery for a while. And he and Renju replied that he'd been walking in the mountains. So you know there's there's reaching the mountaintop, the peak, it's peak experiences. But there's also, you know, I, I remember once when I was younger, camped out in the mountains, sort of near Boulder in Colorado, and one morning climbed all the way up to the nearest peak. Of course, there were many peaks further west, but it was amazing because you could see funnels of steam or clouds rising from the valleys to form clouds. It was early morning, it was sunrise. And then we also saw these, these bald eagles flying. So being up on the mountain peak literally is quite an amazing experience. So uh, it's hard to do, I guess, in the Midwest, but some of you may have been in places where they were but there's also walking in the mountains, just walking, you know, around the same level of the mountain or a little up or down, just walking in the mountains, just, and walking is a, in, in Sino-Japanese also refers to conduct, so just living one's life and conducting oneself, but walking around in, in, the situations where one can see far. I don't know if in some prairies or Chicago area one can see at great distance. I feel like in Chicago, compared to some city, I used to live in New York City where there's big skyscrapers everywhere. In Chicago, unless you're in the loop, the sky's not far away. Buildings are you know, two or three floors high. Sky is wide open. Anyway, um, Yunju told Dongshan that he'd been walking around, walking around in the mountains. Dongshan asked if he had found a mountain to reside on. So, Zen temples and Zen teachers are referred to as mountains, even when they're in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, at this point, Yunju had trained with Dongshan. And, Dongshan asked, oh, did you find did you find a place to build a temple? This is a, a, an important question for all of us. Yunju said that none of the none of the mountains were suitable for the residents. So he eventually Yangshu became uh, a great teacher and was a mountain, was on the top. But anyway, uh, Dongshan asked him, Oh, Yangshu, did you visit all the mountains in the country? <laughs> did you see all the mountains? Are you sure there's none that's good for you? And Yangshu uh, said uh, he had not done so. Then Dongshan commented to Yanju, well, you must have found an entry path. Because here you are. You know, you've come back and here. 
And she said, no, there is no path. This is an important teaching in Dongshan's of Dongshan's, that there's no particular path. In many Buddhist schools, there are kind of roadmaps of how you get to somewhere else, how you get to the uh, mountaintop, or how do you get how you get to the peak experience awakening. But Yanju said very emphatically, no, there's no path. <laughs> Dongshan said, if there's no path, I wonder how you have come to lay eyes on this old man. If there was no path, how could he have gotten here? <laughs> but Yanju said this really interesting thing. If there were a path, then a mountain would have stood between us. And Dongshan approved this saying. And said that henceforth, even 10,000 people could, could not hold down Yanju. So if there's a path, then we're not, then you're not here. Then you're trying, then you're, you know, there's, there's some space between you and your teacher or your true self or full awakening. This is challenging teaching. This is top of the mountain type teaching. Of course, there are many systems of the Eightfold Path and Ten Perfections and Six Perfections or uh, Wonderful Flower Ornament Sutra, the various uh, depictions of sages of various paths. But Dongshan, um, for most of the teaching, is very emphatic that no, you know, if, you, if, you, if you want to be on a path, then you're somewhere down there. You're not really present in your life. So we have some new people here. This is might feel like scary and challenging teaching. And for some of the people who've been here a long time, it might feel that way too. And you're saying, if there is a path, there'd be a mountain between us, between myself and truth, between myself and reality. So again, this is the, the fundamental teaching of our, of our school, of our family style. However, <laughs> having said all that, one of the things that happens when you realize that there's no path to somewhere else, that we're already in sudden awakening, we're already right here, Buddha is available to each of you on your seat right now. Buddha is actually there on your seat right now. And of course, each one of us expresses Buddha in our own particular way. This is the stage of person. And it's not that you should skip over the stage of faith, but just to, you know, I'm, I'm giving up, I'm presenting the fullness of our, of our tradition. However, 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 when you are at the top of the mountain looking down, it's often helpful to, to fill in the pathways. Oh, how is it down there <laughs> in the pits, in the middle of 
wars and pestilence and pandemics and, and, and just each of our own individual sadnesses and confusion and obstacles. So sometimes one fills in the path from the top down. And this means that even if you're sitting in objectless meditation, inhaling and exhaling and paying attention to how it is right now and allowing thoughts and feelings to arise and then drift away and come back to being present. There are um, what are sometimes called techniques to help settle, to help open up. And Many schools in Buddhism and other spiritual traditions emphasize such methods to reach somewhere else. And for us as well, it may be very helpful to look at those. But if you think that, you know, we're somewhere separate from right here, that's, that's not the way our, our point of view of this. I'll just read a little bit from this. From the perspective of objectless meditation and suchness, reality, as it is, it is perfectly fine to indulge in more limited medita meditation on objects, including stages of progress and attainment, as long as one does not get fooled or caught by such programs. So, you know, I think it's, it's very helpful, and I encourage you, if, if it feels helpful, to look at various um, meditation objects. So uh, deep meditation, one word for that in Sanskrit is samadhi. And there are objectless samadhis, but there's also samadhis concentrations where we focus on particular objects. So there are ways that you can help settle and open up in sitting, even though they are not the point, but just to focus on breathing is one. Be aware of inhale and exhale. And there are many ancient teachings talking about practicing the breathing. But just to exhale. Pay attention to that and enjoy your inhale and enjoy your exhale. So one particular way of uh, working with that that some people could do, if you'd like, is to count breaths. So at the end of each exhale, silently, one, two, and so forth, up to 10, and then start over again. But try to see how high you can count. Or if you lose count, uh, used to have trouble getting past three. Anyway, um, if you lose count, just start again at one. Or you can let go of the numbers, just inhale. So this isn't, is not our ultimate meditation, but it can be a tool to help in that. Uh, also, uh, it's meant to sound. So the sound of the fan right down here. The sound of traffic, which but here at Ebenezer, we can to just settle into the world of sound. 
pleasant and upright in the middle of that. Would that help in terms of settling in? And then you can let go of these things. You know, you don't have to spend a whole period with breath or sound. Or, you know, there's many others. There's um, just thinking of the word of, of, of the phrase from the teaching. So we will be chanting later the song of the Jewel Maris Samadhi, which is attributed to Dongshan, one of our founding songs. So you can, so the first line is, lines of the teaching of such, this is intimately conveyed by Buddhists and ancestors. Now you have it, preserve it well. So you already have it, you don't have to get to some other mountain. But uh, you could take a line like that from one of our teaching songs and repeat that to yourself, like the mantra, over and over, for a little while to help you settle. Don't let go of it. And there are many classical mantras, Sanskrit mantras, or Sino Japanese mantras from our tradition. So in the end of the Heart Sutra, which we chant sometimes here, the, uh, the ending of the Heart Sutra is a kind of instruction and mantra practice. It closes with a wonderful mantra, Kate, 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 Adasan, Kate, Bodhisattva. Roughly translates as gone, gone, gone beyond, completely gone beyond, awakening, hooray. <laughs> but just to chant the Sanskrit, Sanskrit phrasing silently to yourself over and over again until you until you settle and then you can just let it go. And there are many such uh, mantras in Buddhist tradition. So there are many, many concentration objects that you can use to fill in the path in the top of the mountain down to or to help others. See the top, see the view. Those are just a few of the meditation techniques. There are libraries full of books with texts that talk about all these different meditation techniques and methods. Now, even in our objectless meditation, they're helpful. Feel free to use them. But I want to go back to the close with the basic story again. Dongshan asks a visiting monk, where have you come from? The monk responded, from wandering in the mountains. So we know just from that that this monk has an experience. Dongshan asks, did you reach the peak? Provocative question. <laughs> And the monk said, yes, <laughs> immediately. Dongshan asked if there was anyone on the peak. No, there was not. Nobody there, just vast openness. Dongshan said, if so, then you did not reach the peak. Dongshan was a very crafty uh, and subtle teacher. If you if if there was no one there, then you did not reach the peak. But 
this monk said, if I did not reach the peak, how could I have known there was no one there? Story. I mean, it breaks through our usual sense of logic and linear rationality. <laughs> if he had not reached the peak, how could he have known there was nobody there? <laughs> and then the important you know, follow-up on the story and that dialogue is Dongshan said, oh, why didn't you stay there? Why didn't you just hang out there? <laughs> and this monk, really wonderful monk, said, I, you know, I would have liked to do that. <laughs> I would have liked to hang out there. But someone from the West, Bodhidharma or Buddha, would not have approved. <laughs> yeah, we can't just hang out you know, in uh, Satori or whatever. <laughs> or in Our practice is Bodhisattva practice. We are here in the world, of the world. We awaken in the delusions of the world, through the delusions of the world. We express our uprightness, our caring, our breathing, our inspiration in the world. So this monk said, I would have liked to have stayed up there, but there's somebody from the West who would not have approved and Dongsheng praised the monk. Said, I've wondered about this guy. But anyway, that's, so that's the story. And uh, we have some time and I'm interested in any comments, responses, questions that any of you might have online or here at Ebenezer. So please feel free. If you're here at Ebenezer, you can raise your hand, or you can raise your hand, or If you think, if you somehow have the belief that you have not reached the peak, <laughs> um, it's okay. You can still ask a question if you want. Kathy. I wonder about. Uh reaching the peak and no one being there. Can, can you hear her online? A little bit louder, Kathy. Okay. I, I wonder about them reaching the peak and no one being there. Um, like, does that imply that when you reach the peak of practice, you're speaking on your own? <laughs> That's a really great question. Um, huh. I wouldn't see it that way because up there on the peak are all the Buddhas and ancestors. But you said no one was on the peak. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and all our ideas about oneself and Buddhas and ancestors are just ideas. So in some sense, yes. In some sense, yes. It's lonely at the top. There's a Randy Newman song about that. 
Uh, yeah, it can be lonely. It can feel like there's no one there to support you. Since that there have been people who've gone before, and Buddhas and ancestors. Yes. So we're hearing stories about these Chinese monks who practiced in the mountains. Practiced, I mean, the mountains is not just literally practiced with. Practiced in Sangha, practiced together with others, practiced with teachers, and and some of them reach this peak experience. There's another way to talk about it. But yeah, that can be lonely, and one can, if one has such an experience, uh, it can be helpful. And also, you can also get into a lot of trouble to think that, it's, that you're special because of it. So this, this is not just China and Japan. This, all of this happens right here back in the USA. Thank you, Kathy. Other comments or responses or questions? Other perspectives, reflections? Hi, David. Um, for me, uh, having hiked in the mountains, um, in the sense when Kathy says there's no one there, in essence, when you're that place in the mountains, uh, everything is there. Yes. And it's not that we are uh, by ourselves. But in essence, are with everything, and I would say that is what part of the message that the monk is saying. That coming back, the thing is to come back to society to share our experience. Right. And it's it's, it's to we get in touch with everything, and there is everything there on the mountaintop. We take that experience and bring it back. I remember being, you know, saying maybe different mountain range in Colorado and just seeing the peaks and just seeing everything. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, nothing is there. This this, um, this is a, a complicated and sometimes problematic term in Buddhism. Emptiness or shunyata. Uh, my friends Kaz Tanahashi and John Halifax translate that as boundlessness. So to see emptiness is to see that we are connected with everything, everything. So as we sit in Zazen, everybody we've ever known is part of our experience. Some, you know, lots of feelings that arise, some may come more than others. There's some new people here, so I, I sometimes ask, how many of you remember your third grade teacher? Kathy, Ruben, David, Alex. How many of you have thought of her or him in the last month? Ah, Jerry has. <laughs> okay. So all the all the people, family, friends, pets, 
acquaintances, former lovers, anybody we've been who has been part of our life is part of our life right now, whether or not we think of think actively about them. So in that sense, yes. David, yes. Uh, when you reach the top, there's no one there. Because everyone's there. So, but yeah, it's also, it's also, sometimes it feels like no one is there. I'm not there, nobody's there. It's just, you know, the open sky and the eagles and the clouds form. So yes, thank you, David. Alex, did you have a comment? Yes, uh, for for those of us uh, like myself who don't feel like we have reached the mountaintop, um, how there seems like these stories all sort of have a chronology or linearity where we first awaken to the infinite shunyata emptiness. And then uh, we return to help other people. So um, here we are. It, it doesn't feel like uh, like um, it's appropriate to just sit in zazen or, or wander around twenty four seven until we have uh, this awakening experience and then help others. So how do you propose we balance that? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. Right now, um, everybody here is sitting zazen, sitting upright. I don't know about the people on Zoom, but on some way, in some ways, because they're here on Zoom, uh, that's true too. Um, so it's not that we have to, whether or not we think we've reached some peak experience, or we think we've not reached some peak experience, which some teachers kind of, you know drive into their students so that they'll work harder or whatever that means. Um, the point is that everything is right here. Whether or not we realize it. And, you know, it's, it's important to realize it. That's part of what we're doing here, is that we realize that. But it's not like you have to have some great peak experience where, you know, the fireworks and whatever. Suzuki Roshi, the founder of our lineage in California, came to, there from Japan, said, walking in the mist and the fog in Golden Gate Park, my roads go, go, go. Doing this practice, the point of this practice is just to keep showing up. That's, we could say it's the stage of faith, I could also say it's the stage of person. That's trust. Not trusting, not trusting in something out there. Not trusting that the that the people on the side in the in the in television, it was a police car. A police car that that the police in this in this that that siren are going to go and take care of whatever problem there is. We don't know, but whatever it is that brought you to consider doing this physical practice of sitting upright and turning the light within, studying, becoming familiar, becoming intimate with all that is 
your so-called self just to just to take that on and keep turning up just to show up on your on your seat just to show up in your body upright silence breathing yeah and then Keep at it and share that. Is there somebody on Zoom? That is Ed? Hi, thanks. Can you hear me? Yes. I, am I audible? Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks for your teaching today, Tig. And, and it, it prompts part in me a little bit. Uh, it challenges me on the idea of experience itself and our our habit of of characterizing our experiences. And of course, maybe when we characterize, we're, we're instantly reductive about what it is the experience was. And it is um, a foolish endeavor, of course, to characterize our experiences in a way that we imagine them comprehensible to us, even in the most casual events in our lives. And so to me, the story sort of points to this fact, and it's a significant one. So thank you. Yes. Um, there's a, a very, one of the finest American Buddhist scholars, is, is it is Berkeley, Bob Scharf, Robert Scharf, talks about the fallacy of experience. Uh, I forget the name of the article, but yeah. So um Conventionally, we talk about experience, experiencing a breath, experiencing uprightness, experiencing Buddha, a Buddha experiencing us. But yes, and that's right. That's a that's a that that's in the Unju story where he says, "If I reached, uh, if there was a path, I'd be a mountaintop away." <laughs> um, because as soon as we, you know, our experience is this reality now. Suchness is a name for that in Buddhism. But if we say anything about it, if we have any thought about it, that's that's not that experience. That's a mountaintop apart. That's an afterthought. <laughs> so yes, the richness of experience. So this is this is also in some ways the heart of zazen, just to be present. So this objectless meditation is just to be present in this reality. Now, without naming it, without thinking about it, without figuring it out, without saying, oh, that was wonderful, or oh, that was terrible, without making judgments, just to enjoy, inhale, exhale, and facing the wall, and this reality. But conventionally, of course, we, you know, there are, there are such things as, you know, deep experiences. <laughs> uh, but if you, you know, after the fact, call it Kensho or something, that's that's not it. <laughs> so, yes, thank you very much, Ed. That's important. Uh, just to enjoy your life. And your liveliness. And your awareness. And your inhale and exhale. And being upright and being present in this dharma position, in this situation of your life here now, is the point.
I can't resist responding to Ed. A little louder, I'm sorry. I can't resist responding to Ed that um, that's in the direction of what writing haiku or creating haiku is about, that this immediate experience in the most in the least diminishing way to express. And um, the, the, it's even hard to say what it's about, but, but a direct experience with reality translated into a very short verbal expression of it. Um, very, very, you know, not about all these witty things that people come up with which irritate me. <laughs> But, um, but reality translated into 17 syllables that are as close as one can make it. Very hard. Impossible, but wonderful to attempt. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Goshen. And yes, uh, Goshen has led Haiku Nature Walks and is doing one next month. Uh, a month from now, I'll that in the in the analysis, but yeah, haiku is, you know, a way of expressing something that's not caught in expression or looking back at some experience. Well, one of my favorite Japanese uh, haiku, and so, so haiku is a very refined Japanese form for expressing this. Shizukasaya, Iwani Shimiru, Semi no Poet. This is, I think, Basho talking about experience he had on one of his long, long uh, journeys. And it could be translated as such stillness. Iwani Shimiru, penetrating the rocks. Something that sound of cicadas. So it's, 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 it is in some ways a, a sometimes visual expression of a, of a uh, moment, and then turning it. Anyway, um, you know, sometimes instead of haikus, Zen teachers just, ah! So I try not to do that so often. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, that says it. <laughs> And, it, and, and whatever it is goes beyond any shout or haiku. So <laughs> we're reaching into that which is before we analyze it. <laughs> David Weiner, did you have a comment? Yeah, I want to follow up a little bit with Kathy Ann. I want to follow up a little bit with Kathy Ann with Ed. Um, I felt that was very inarticulate before, but it's hard to express the inexpressible. Um, and it's just there's a sense of feeling or experience of just being so connected to reality. And I've had it, and I think my foible is that I'm constantly trying to get back to that. Yeah. Instead of being here now, I'm constantly trying to go back to that experience I had hiking in the mountains. And um, but it's just inexpressible. There's just something that happens and it takes I don't want to say it takes over me, but I've let go of myself and I've surrendered to 
what is. And it's just, it brings tears to your eyes, at least to my eyes. My, my foible, my, my mistake is that I'm constantly trying to catch that back. Well, that's not just your, your foible. That's, you know, it's very natural that when we have, when we experience suchness, we want to get back to it, you know, because it's lovely. But uh, we need to, you know, we can't experience it again in the next moment. Yes, Jerry. Louder, please. Is it possible to have a big experience and not know it? Not oh, sure. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, and, 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 you know, on, on some level, some modern Zen teachers have said, it's nothing special. <laughs> you know, and it's not. It's just what's always here. But yeah, uh, it, yes, that's, that's possible. That happens. So, if that's possible, uh, what, maybe, I guess, in my mind, the assumption is if you're aware you have a big experience, somehow that changes your life or practice or the way you look. So, if you have a big, big, big experience and don't know it, then does your life not change or does your experience not change? And if it does, either way, what difference does it make whether you have a big experience or not? Right. Well, that's Suzuki Roshi one, you know, walking through Golden Gate Park in San Francisco where there's a lot of fog and his robe's getting wet. So part of this practice is just to continue. In fact, maybe the most important part of Zazen practice is not, you know, what somebody, you or somebody else judges the quality of your experience. Like, it's, it's uh, common for Zazen people to say, oh, that was a great period of Zazen, or that was a terrible period of Zazen, or sleepy, or it was, the mind was racing, or whatever. Uh, that doesn't matter. Those are just your descriptions, your ideas about something that happened before. So just to keep showing up regularly, you know, I encourage sitting every day or several times a week at least, and sit at home for you don't have to sit for 30 or 40 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, just to keep showing up and be present in this body, this body mind, this body heart. And whatever happens is okay. But yes, it happens that people have, that people have noticeable fancy experiences. <laughs> and uh, sometimes they get in a lot of trouble afterwards. But it does change how he is. Is there anybody else on Zoom who might have a comment or question or response? We have time for maybe one more. Nobody? Oh, David Ray. Thank you, Tygan. Um, um, I'm thinking about the the, the exchange that says if there were a if there were a path there would be a mountain top in between. Um, the the idea of a path is really I, I think I really attached to it. I'm really attached to the thought of life as a path. And even if I'm not you know even if I'm not thinking about progress and going somewhere except that I am <laughs> except that I am it still feels like time is a path and life is a path and blah 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 is a path. Yeah, and um, 
we do think that way, of course. We're, we're trained in our modern consumerist capitalist world that, uh, you know, to make progress, the economy has to get bigger for, for it to be healthy or whatever. Uh, we need to, you know, and we're trained for first grade, second grade, third grade, seventh grade, tenth grade, whatever, college, graduate school, you know, whatever, uh, or various rungs of positions in a corporation, or whatever it is. We uh, have been conditioned to think of some path in progress. So I would suggest, you, you know, and, and, you know, it's okay. It's not that that's bad, but that's just how we think. That's not reality. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and sometimes it might be helpful. And there are wonderful Buddhist teachings, like in the Flower Ornament Sutra, where there's a whole stages and you know we can see that but in our in our family style the tradition is to see those systems and stages and progress and paths and so forth as just you know kind of part of the mountainside and that uh, really the point is who is this that this comes how is it that you is here now. What is it like? How does it feel? What my favorite American brother called. How does it feel to be here? So, thank you all. Um, appreciate everybody listening to the stories. And uh, these old stories are, are uh, kind of thin bread and butter. <laughs> we we, uh, we digest these stories and I think they're helpful. <laughs>